Well, this December 27th, Christmas is over for another year. And that makes me ask some questions. Last week we talked about, do we really know how much Christmas cost? Do we really know how much Christmas cost heaven? Yeah, I think by January we'll know how much Christmas costs us because we'll get the credit card bills and we'll start seeing how much it really cost us. But do we really understand the cost to heaven when Jesus came down? That was a good question. That was a good discussion. Because Jesus came down into a messy world, didn't he? He came into a world that wasn't designed by God to be that way. Because God didn't design the world to be the way it is today. It wasn't his plan that it was going to be the way it is today. But God came down in his son Jesus into a very messy environment. And, uh, and so as a result of that, it makes me continue to ask the questions. How much truly does Christmas cost heaven to think that Jesus would come down and to take the chance on us today? Because it was a risk. It was a risk that God took by sending his son for that ultimate cost. And so the question is, if I had the opportunity to give Jesus a gift this year, if Jesus would have come to my Christmas at my home today, this year, two, three days ago, whatever it was, two days ago, what gift would I have given Jesus? What do you think he wants for Christmas? Ever thought about that? If it's hard finding a gift for your wife or your husband, imagine buying a gift for Jesus. What does he want? What would you have bought Christ? Would you give him maybe more offerings above your tithes? Is that what he wants? Does he want you to spend more time in church? Does he want you to put more effort being a good person? Does he want more obedience? Does he want more worship? What does he want? What's the most important things that Jesus wants from us? Well, I think there are two things amongst these. These things that we just listed are all good things. Absolutely, all those things are good. But I think there's two things. Number one, I think he wants a relationship with you. And I think he wants to have love in his family. Two things that I think that God, that Jesus really wants from you for Christmas. Number one, he wants a relationship. And number two, he wants love in his family. What does scripture say? Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, in case you have your Bible. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we see Jesus doing, we see God the Father and Jesus the Son doing some things stepping towards us before we ever stepped towards him. He loved us before we ever thought about him. And he put his action in love in the fact that he died for us even before we ever had the first thought of him. Like I said earlier about that experience holding my grandson Caden when his eyes are staring up at you and you're, looking, you're locked into his and there's kind of soul-to-soul -soul exchanges going on there, you know, there's really nothing I wouldn't have done to protect that little boy. You know, um, 
If the house would have fallen in on me, I would have covered him over and protected him, and I would have died protecting him. And you know the same feeling that you would have done for your grandchild or your child. Yet, Caden has done nothing to me to deserve that love. We have no relationship yet, truly, with Caden, other than the fact that he's my grandson. Hmm. Makes me want to make sure that I don't skip over this thought. Paul says it twice, using two different words. While we were still powerless, and while we were still sinners. What does that make us? While we are powerless and sinners, what does that make us? Puts us in a pretty bad state, doesn't it? (laughs) I'm powerless and I'm a sinner. I have nothing to offer God. Nothing to offer Him at all in my powerlessness and in my sinful life. I'm in a pretty bad state. But yet, but yet, what does God do for us? He sent a son. He sent his son to die for us. Why would God do that? Can you think of one reason why God would do that? Why would God care about you and I so much that he would send his own son to die for us? See, if he had the ability to create us in the first place, and we are powerless and we're sinners, then why doesn't he just crumple us up and throw us away and recreate a new creation that's perfect. Why did he send Jesus to die for us when he could have just thrown us away and started over and Jesus never would have ever have to left heaven? You ever thought about that? He never would have have, have to have left heaven if he just, God would have said, hey, nobody's going to know the difference. I can throw a mulligan here on this one because nobody's keeping score besides me. So why in the world would God do that? Christine, what did you say? Because love. Yeah, you know, do you know how unique you are? Do you know how unique God has created you to be? We're, we're, we're unique in the sight of God. And God's created you just the, just the way you are, and he loves you in spite of it. <laughs> he loves you in spite of yourself. You know, I was starting to think about this a little bit, and I'm kind of a, a numbers guy. I kind of like dealing with numbers. And so I went on the Internet, and I did some research, and I didn't come up with these, with these probabilities. But, but have you ever thought about the odds of you existing as you are today? I mean, think about it. How you became you today. The probability of your dad and your mom meeting, first of all, is about 1 in 20,000, right? And then it continues to get even more amazing. And then for them to fall in love and to stay together long enough to actually get married and have children goes up to about 1 in 40 million. About all the other ramifications of dating and love and all that stuff. And that's just getting started. And, and then once they're married and they start having children, the odds of, of them coming together, and we're not going to get into the graphic here, but coming together when they did, at the time they came together, and that particular egg that was developed, and that particular cell from the father that came together, you know what that becomes? The chances of that happen 
happening that you are you and that you're not your sister or your brother is about one in 400 quadrillion. Now, it's only getting better. But now you've got to go back to your ancestors. You know, the fact that your grandma and grandpa lived and their grandma and grandpa lived and they went back and they all had, and your, the fact that your grandfather wasn't killed in the Civil War or that they made it over on the ship from wherever they came from. Now we're starting to get in some numbers. It's so big that we can't even fathom that there is, the, the, to, to, when you take all those together, it is a one with 2,685,000 zeros behind it. So you figure it out. What are the chances of you being you today? And then that Jesus would die for you. Come on, doesn't this blow us away here a little bit? Do you think you're random? Do you think you're not here for a reason? You think you're not, you're not created uniquely for, for, and that God would want to love you this morning and that, that, that you are that important to him? So, going back to Christmas, what do you think Jesus wants from you as his number one gift? He wants a relationship with you. You know, as my kids were growing older, you know, they would come and say, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Well, I had enough ties. I had enough stuff. So I'd say, you know what? Just love me. Just be good for me. <laughs> and they said, no, no, Dad, really, what do you want? And in all honesty, that's all I really want is them to love me in spite of myself, <laughs> in spite of the mistakes I've done. I just want them to love me. So I can be pretty sure, pretty confident in this fact that, that, that God would want me to stand here and tell you this morning that the most important thing for him, the most important thing he wants from you is to have a relationship with you. He wants you to choose him. Because we're given in Scripture what his perspective on us is. Matthew chapter 18. Open your Bible. Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14. Jesus is a parable that Jesus is speaking. He says, what do you think? And Jesus, he, he, he begins the parable with a question, right? So what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go back to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Verse 14 is the key verse. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So now, we are one of a few billion people on the, on the planet today. One of a few billion that are alive right now. Think about the billions that have lived since creation. Let me ask you the question. How many of them would God want to perish? Zero. God's will is for all men, all women, of all races, of all creeds, of all nationalities, everyone that was ever created, everyone that he created, he wants every one of them to be with him in heaven forever and ever. He would have none of them perish. Pretty amazing, isn't it, to think that? That God is so big, yet so loving, so concerned about all of us, that he would have none of us perish. 
So let's jump back to the question. What does that make us while we are still powerless and still sinners? What does that make us? If, see, if, if God put a plan in place to save us and to give us an opportunity to come back into relationship with him while we were still powerless and sinners, what does it mean to us this morning? Can we really grasp the concept? Put your thinking caps on. I mean, really go deep with me for a minute here. Let's, let's, let's get out of the shallowness of Christmas, of giving. And, and let's really grasp the, the concept of how much God loves us and how much he did for us to save us. I don't think we can grasp it. I really don't think we can. And I'm not insulting your intelligence because I'm thinking the same thing. I don't think we can fully grasp what Jesus did for us. I mean, we live in a throwaway society. If something doesn't work anymore, I don't try to fix it. I throw it away. I mean, computer printers are a great example. If your printer fails, you don't fix it, do you, Drew? What do you do? You pitch it. You buy a new one, especially when you think the fact is that the new printer comes with ink already in it. By the time you bought ink, it's probably worth more than trying to get your old printer fixed. So throw the printer away, buy the new one with new ink cartridges in your head of the game. We are a throwaway society. Now, I don't want to get too personal here, but how has that impacted our relationships with people? Think about it. If I have a problem with people, do I just throw the relationship away? How many marriages today are ending in divorces because we've gotten a concept that if it doesn't work, I can just throw it away. I can just redo it. I can have a do-over. Well, if God didn't do a do-over, why should I get to do a do-over? Think about it. Why do I have the right to throw away things that are important to God if he didn't throw me away or you away? It really makes me think a lot more about how much he loves me and how much he's committed to me, that he refuses to abandon us even though we are worthy to be thrown away. He's committed to us never to abandon us. And therefore, he, all he wants for Christmas is me to choose him back. That's all he wants. Because he's not giving up on me, and he's not giving up on you, so all he's saying, would you just choose me back? Because I'm not going to throw you into hell. But you could choose to go there by yourself. You can choose that if that's what you want, but I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not going to give up on you until the last breath you take, that if you would just turn to me, that's what, his, that's what he wants. He wants relationship with you and I. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. This is how God showed his love. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. Toward the, toward the back of your Bible. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice 
for our sins. Isn't that enough of a reason that we should choose to love God back? That he chose us while we were still powerless and sinners. That he would die for me. He would die for you. God proved his love for us by taking a huge risk that he had no power to ever take back. When God chose to love us, he, gave, he took a huge risk and he gave something away that he could never take back. And that is our power to choose. Even though he loves us so much, he still gives you and I the power to choose. God proved his love for us by choosing us before we chose to receive him. See, we can almost get it if it would have been a guarantee. If God would have guaranteed Jesus, if he would have said, hey, Jesus, come on, I got a plan. If you will do this, Jesus, if you'll go down and die for all those people that we created, that we love so much, I guarantee you, Jesus, they'll all come back. Was that his plan? He chose to love us before we ever chose to love him. And even if we choose not to love him, he still chose to love us to the point that he died for us. He took that risk, huge risk that heaven took that day. God proved his love for us by choosing us before we ever chose him. Amazing. Do we get it? Can we really grasp that fact? Can we really get it this morning? That I can reject God and I can waste his gift that still doesn't change his love for me. He still loves me even though I may reject him. He still loves me. Wow. And he's always willing to say, I'm ready to receive you no matter how many times maybe you've rejected me in the past. Yeah. That's what he wants. He wants a relationship. He wants, number one, he wants a relationship. Number two, he wants love in his family. He wants love in his family. Now, we as parents know how much we want our children to love each other, don't we? There's a, there's a vast number of scriptures that talk about how people should honor others above themselves and love them the way God loves us perfectly, regardless of how we've been treated. Matthew chapter 22, obviously a very obvious passage, and we must teach, we must talk about this one. <laughs> Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 30 through 33 says this, Jesus replied, asked what is the most important commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we certainly can't talk about the love of God unless we talk about his command to love God with everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we can be, holding nothing back. That's called love. That's the way God loved us. He didn't hold anything back. He took a great risk by loving us to the point that he died for us. Therefore, our love for him must be of that same grand nature I can't love him half-heartedly and match his love for me. I have to love him with everything that I have. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything, right? And then number two, he says, then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the hard one. True? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, love is not based on an emotion that God can command. 
Nor is love based on an emotion that I can command. I can't command my emotions. Can you? Can you command your emotions? Can you command how you feel? I don't think we can. But I certainly can command what I do. I can command my actions. And as I command my actions, and as I stay focused and committed to my actions, typically the emotions will follow. Typically they're the caboose on the train. But the emotions should never be the engine of the train. If the emotions become the engine of the train, watch out because you're going to stop and go all the time. And you're going to go at the wrong times and you're going to stop at the wrong times when your emotions are the one pulling the, the train. The emotions must be the caboose and your will, your actions are the, are the, are the, is, the train, is the engine of the train. That's what's moving you forward. Because if your will and if you command your actions, if you command that will, then you'll go through the times when emotions would say, stop, 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 stop. But your action is no, do, 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 do. Why? Because God did, did, did. He loved, 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 no matter what happened. So therefore, I have to make sure that my engine is being run by my intellect in this regard and say, no, I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do, whether I feel like it or not. Because you've got to know that Jesus had some feelings in Gethsemane. But he said, Father, not my will but thine. You've got to know he was thinking, is there another way? Is there another way, God, that we can do this and I don't have to go through this? And when God said, no, son, that's it. He said, then not, then, all right, I put my emotions in the caboose and I'm going to go through with it and thank the Lord that he did. Amen? Because we all could be in a pile of heap someplace where we deserve to be. But no, his love, his love. True love is chosen and committed to rather than driven by a feeling of emotion. True love is chosen and committed rather than being driven by a feeling of emotion. If we're going to have a proper relationship with God, after we've received a free gift of sacrifice that Jesus gave for us, then we have some responsibility to follow through by putting our emotions in the back seat and putting our will to obey Christ in the driver's seat. And now that's driving our car. That's moving us from now on, now our desire and our commitment to serve Christ. Our active choice leads and the emotions follow, but our active choices must lead. That's the way we fulfill our relationship to God and to others. That's the way we fulfill our obligations. We have commitments to people. We have commitments to God, our Father. And the only way we can fulfill them is to make sure that our actions are leading our emotions. And that's how we love people. 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. And we're going to read this and we're going to break it down a little bit. This is how we love people. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is what? God is love. 
Then verse 9, we've already read this part. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then he goes on again. Dear friends, since God loves so much, loved, loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. See, if we're claiming to know God and to love God and that we actually have a relationship with God, then our love for people must follow as proof of our choices. Now, we're going to talk about love for people in a minute here. Just hang with me. Because I can hear already the excuses coming up in our minds, but you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how they've hurt me. You don't know how they've betrayed me. You don't know how they've let me down. You don't know how they've talked bad about me. You have no idea, Mike, what you're talking about, about my situation. And you're right, I don't. But God does. And he still says it. And his word is still true to you and me, no matter what our situation is, his word is still true. So what are we supposed to do with these feelings of hurt and betrayal? What do we do with these feelings? I'm not saying you haven't been hurt because you have been. And I'm not saying you hide them. I'm not saying that you don't deal with them because you, you deal with them. What do we do with these hurts? What do we do with be, these betrayals? Do we allow them to turn into a bitterness? Do we allow them to turn into resentment? And I can't wait to get them back attitude? Clearly, that's what the enemy wants. That's what the enemy wants us to do with those feelings. He wants us to take those feelings and make them prime in our life. He wants us to focus on those feelings of betrayal and say, oh, I'm going to get that guy back. And, I'm, and, and the devil will give us a good way to do it. He'll give us plenty of opportunity to do exactly that. He'll give us plenty of opportunity to get our way. But that's not what God's word says. There really are no excuses and there's no justification. Just a commitment to love people unconditionally the way that God did. It's hard. I know it's hard. But we must listen to this. Let's continue on with verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Wow, that's pretty cool. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Do you want to have confidence in the day of your judgment? Then learn to love God and learn to love people. If you want to have confidence that that day you stand before God and he says, I want to examine your life, if you want confidence on that day, and don't, don't depend on the money you made. Don't depend on how many times you went to church. Don't depend on anything other than the fact that you loved God, you put him first, and then you love people. That's what God's word's saying. As hard as it may be here, appear to do. In this world, we are like Jesus. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Imagine that. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. We love because he 
Who's he? Jesus Christ. We love before Jesus Christ first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. <laughs> He's not given us a suggestion here. This isn't just a if you feel like it type thing. And he gives us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. How are you going to get out of that one? How are you going to sneak out of this one? What does this mean for the believer? What does it mean to love people that may have hurt you? Does this mean that people can trample over us? Does this mean that they can just run over us and we have to like it? I know we're going to get into some fine areas of gray here, little shades of gray, but here's the deal. Let me, if you're struggling with this, let me give out, maybe give you an example, a way to think about this. We have to think, we have to think long-term on this one. We have to put our thinking caps on to go well beyond this age of living. We have to think about hell. I know we don't like to talk about hell, right? It's a four-letter word we don't like to talk about. H-E double hockey stick. I know. We don't like to even use the word. But we have to recognize what hell is. Hell is eternal punishment in the most undescribable way possible. We're going to build a big bonfire here probably in a few days or sometime to burn up these trees that fell down over here. If you notice, we had a couple trees fall down in that big wind. So we're going to burn up that, we're going to burn those trees up. And when I was a kid with my dad, we would, you know, build a lot of fires as we built sugar bush over there and we'd have a lot of hot fires. And I can remember my dad always, you know, when it got really hot, he would always say something like this. He said, boys, Barney, Mike, come here. I'm going to tell you a little lesson. I want you to think about jumping in that fire right now. Because that's what it's going to be like in hell. Because you're just going to jump in that fire and you're never going to die. And you're going to burn and you're going to burn and you're going to burn, but you're never going to die. Now, as a kid, I didn't grasp it. And even right now, I have a hard time grasping that. But that's what the Bible says, right? So here's how we love people. This is how we forgive people. Imagine the person that has wronged you the worst. Do you really want them to burn in hell? Seriously. Could you really see the person that hurt you the worst, that would, that would be their fate to burn in hell forever and ever and ever? No, I can't either. So what do we do? How do we make that not happen? We pray for them. We pray for them. First of all, we forgive them. Because if I don't forgive them, then the Father in heaven can't forgive me, and maybe I'm going to be in hell because I didn't forgive them first because Jesus already forgave me. So we have to complete the cycle. I don't want to be in hell, do you? And I don't want the person that has wronged me the worst to be in hell forever. So we learn to love people. And this is how you love. There, there's a big difference here. This is real important because, see, when I learn to love people the way God loves people, uh, what that means is I want the best for them, whether they're my friend or not. There's a difference between loving and being a friend. Do you know that? You don't have to buddy-buddy with everybody that you love. You don't have to be their best friend because maybe you had personality differences. Maybe there are some things that are just different people. And that's okay. 
But you certainly don't want what's worst for them. You don't want them to burn in hell. So you want to love them and you want to pray for them and you want to pray for their family and you want to pray for their children and you want to pray for their generations to come because you don't want any of them to burn in hell. We don't want anybody to burn in hell. It's a terrible thing. So what we do is we set boundaries about ourselves so that we don't allow ourselves to get bitten by the same dog twice. But we can still love the person we just don't have to be the best friends. Now, that's okay. It's okay to do that, okay? But we have to love them. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Can you grieve the Holy Spirit? We grieve Him by not loving people. We grieve Him by not doing the things that He did for us. He loved us. Therefore, if I'm not going to grieve the Holy Spirit, I must love like He loved. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Let's think about those words. Get rid of all bitterness, but I have this against my brother or my sister. They just rub me the wrong way. I have a hard time with this person. I have a hard time with this relationship. How easily that can turn to bitterness, rage, and anger. But God's word says get rid of all that. Get rid of the brawling and the slander along with every form of malice. And this is what we do do. Verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate. I can be kind and compassionate to someone that isn't my best friend. Amen? I can be kind and compassionate to people. Is that a form of love? Be kind and compassionate to another, forgiving them. It never says you have to be best friends. It doesn't, says, it doesn't say that you have to be the best buds in the world because even Jesus had relationship differences between his disciples. He had the inner circle. He had the core. And then he had his other disciples. Then he had all those other followers around. But Jesus had different levels of friendship. Loved them all, right? But yet he had the, that, that disciple of whom he loved, John. And he had Peter. And he had that few inner core. It's okay. We have boundaries, guys. You have to have boundaries. Boundaries are healthy. Loving people is a command, so just learn to do it. Don't allow it to be the option. It's not an option. It's a command. So just learn to do it. We shouldn't fight that. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, in the, J.B. in the J.B. Phillips translation, I like the way he set it up. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. He says, to sum up, you should all be of one mind, living like brothers, with true love and sympathy for each other, generous and courteous at all times. Never pay back a bad term, turn with a bad turn or an insult with another insult. But on the contrary, pray back with good, for this is your calling, to do good 
and one day to inherit all the goodness of God. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and on his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The Lord is looking on those that are righteous. What does righteous mean? Remember we talked about that the last couple days, weeks ago? What is righteous? A righteous person is a person that is what? Right standing with God. Not a perfect person, but a person that has been forgiven. We're forgiven, so therefore we're in a right standing with God, so therefore we can forgive others, and then we can be in a right standing with others through God's righteousness through me, so that I have no guile amongst us now. We don't speak evil of each other. We don't slander each other. And forgive us for the times that we have, because we all have, haven't we? I've been guilty of that, and I'm sorry for that. Remember, God always wants what's best for you. And even though you may have a hard time loving a person that has purposely hurt you, God has designed the life of a believer to be blessed as the believer loves as Christ loves. If you can go back and forgive those that have hurt you, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Jackie, if you'd come and we'll wind this up here a little bit, but so as we, as we wrap up another Christmas season, no pun intended, and we move on towards the new year, it would be good for all of us to do some spiritual inventory of our, of our lives and see where we are indeed giving to God. What have I given back to God? Do I recognize really how much he has given me, first of all? Uh, I don't think I do. I'm going to do my best. I think when I get to heaven, maybe, and I, for the first two or 3,000 years when I'm laying at his feet, I might be able to begin to realize it. Because it's going to be an amazing day when we see Jesus face to face, isn't it? Can you even think about it? Can you even begin to appreciate what that's going to be like when we stand before Jesus? But I think we should ask ourselves some questions this morning as we get ready to move into the new year. Have I really given myself to Christ? Do I really have a relationship with Jesus? Now, I know you all know about him. I know that. I know you all know about him. But do you truly have a relationship with him? What do you do with people that you have relationship with? You communicate. You talk to him. So are you praying on a regular basis? Are you reading his word? Are you trying to understand what he wants for you? Are you communicating? Do I enjoy, do you enjoy being with him and in his presence? Days like today, worship services like we just had, do you enjoy that? Or are you waiting for the next thing to get on so you can get to the service over? Seriously, consider this, because these are good indicators of your relationship. These are indicators about, do I really have a relationship with the Lord? Or am I just waiting to get on to the next part of life because I have things to do. It's 12 o'clock and i got to get on. i got things to do. 
I don't say we, bela- we, we, don't be- we don't belabor things just to belabor them, but I'm just wondering truly, what is my relationship with the Lord? Am I enjoying His presence? Because if I, I enjoy the relationship of Caden, I enjoy the relationship of Joel and Micah because I love them and I know they love me and the rest of my family. If I was anxious to give up Micah or Joel or give Caden away other than the times he has dirty diapers, if I was anxious to give him away, then I would probably doubt my love for these little children. I love to be in the presence of them. Do I love to be in the presence of Jesus? Do you love your quiet times? Seriously. Do you love your Bible reading times? If you're rushing to get through them, can I just tell you, you may be not be loving them. You may not have the relationship you think you have. Can I be honest here? These are good indicators. Am I loving the rest of his people? Am I loving the rest of his family? Am I loving people like he wants me to? Am I holding a grudge against people? Do you want to be free from that this morning? Then ask him. Ask him. Free me, Father. Help me to love people the way you love people. Help me to see people the way you see people. Help me to learn to let people back into my life. Put up proper boundaries. It's okay. Help them to identify the boundaries for you. You're not trampled on. This isn't called a trampling session. This is called a time of loving. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come before you again. And we just look at the Christmas season for what it's about and what it's been, and we just ask ourselves some questions. Have I truly given you what you want for Christmas? Is my relationship where it should be? I know what you want it to be. So Lord, I'm asking you now that you would help me to make it what you want it to be. Would you forgive me, first of all, of my sin? Would you cleanse me of all unrighteousness so that I can have that right standing with you again? Would you give me a hunger for more of you? Would you put a desire in my heart to be in your presence more? Would you allow me to comprehend more today than I did yesterday about what your love means and how big it is? and how encompassing it is, but yet how personal it is. And then, Lord Jesus, would you help me to do the harder thing, and would you help me to love people? Would you give me a heart of love the way that you love? And, Lord, right now, if I have to forgive someone right now in the name of Jesus, would you help me to do that? And this morning, you may have to, name, you may have to put some names in that. You may have to put some names in your mind about who that person is you need to forgive and you need to release, and you need to let go so that it doesn't turn into bitterness and rage and anger and malice and slander. Help us, Jesus. Help us to celebrate with you. Help us to love people as you love people. Now, Father, I just commit this message to the hearts and minds of your people today that as we go through the rest of the season that we don't run out and forget all this because this is good. This is a good word. This is a good instruction for us. This is good reminders for us. 
And I pray, God, that we would humbly receive everything this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.